Hey guys, welcome to another episode of Movies and a Meal, a podcast where we talk about movies and other things while we eat. I'm your co-host, Ben, and as always, I'm joined by Keith hey. and Brad. What's up? Alright, so we are going to do our top movies of 2023. Unlike a lot of publications who like to do theirs like December 1st, <laughs> we are true honorees of 2023. So these are movies through December 31st. 2023 with a slight asterisk but whatever we won't mention that we had to because i mean they had like i think i counted up i think there was like six or seven movies i saw in december out of the movies i saw so plus we're professionals yeah so So if you're familiar with these episodes we're gonna go round robin with our top tens going from 10 to 1 and there's gonna be a couple overlap movies and what we're gonna do with that is that if someone mentions that if say if brad has something in the number nine spot, but uh, Keith has it in the number two spot. We're going to defer talking to it until we get to Keith's number two spot, yeah, so. just so we can keep it moving. And then afterwards, you know, Brad's going to do uh, some stat breakdowns for us about how many movies we've watched overall, <laughs> and also like our Rotten Tomatoes stuff. You know, mm-hmm. things that uh, our our traditional wrap up. Brad, why don't you go and start us off? What's your number ten? Well, my number ten, and um. I'm going to break a little rule here. This beat out Barbie and uh, Blue Beetle for me. Those are like 11 and 12 for me. These are real close. Mm-hmm. My number 10 is Ferrari. It's one of the three movies that I that I watched in December that snuck into my top 10. So we were discussing the waiting till December 31st, after December 31st and all that. And if we did it like uh, at the start of December, this wouldn't have made my list. This movie was a tour de force. And it's basically Penelope Cruz and Adam Driver just driving this movie not not pun not attended these two were magic on screen and when whether they were together or not and i mean and when they were separate they were still very well done and i think the racing in this movie it's it's not quite on par with ford versus ferrari but it is definitely still great adam driver and penelope cruz should get oscar nominations if they don't then yeah all right, I'll move right along. My number 10 is Are You There, God? It's Me, Margaret. And really, the first thing you should know about director Kelly Freeman Craig's Are You There, God? It's Me, Margaret is that she's in love with Judy Bloom's work as much as anyone. And that love is shown in a movie that's taken one of her best books. It really, even though this is for young girls, it really appeals to people of all ages and outlooks, especially the way this movie's done. It tells the story of sixth grader Margaret Simon growing up in a mixed faith family in 1970s New Jersey. And has great work from young Abby Forson as Margaret, and even better, Rachel McAdams as her mother, in the kind of rich human role she was meant to play and should earn her an Oscar nomination for supporting actress. Like the best coming-of-age movies, this one gives us a protagonist who confronts a world as maddening as the one we see every day, but does so with a spirit and heart that makes it universal for us all. Okay, I guess it's my turn, and so for my number 10, I'm going to go with Joy Rye, the comedy that came out in july um it was a nice addition i think there's like a sub genre of comedies out there kind of the raunchy female road trip kind of comedy and you know that started with bridesmaids and then we got uh, is it girls trip girls right trip. with tiffany haddish mm-hmm. where she broke out and mm-hmm. this is another one but you know it's for asians i guess and it was just a it's great to see these kind of comedies um we're in a like crossroads where like smaller movies, like niche comedies like this, don't necessarily get a theatrical release. They're just going to straight to streaming. So it's nice to see this in the movie theaters, and it's nice to get like everybody get, to get some shine and some other people like that. So I, that's my number ten, Joy Ride. All right, my number nine, and this is the top of my tier four movies. I've actually tiered them this year. So it's Air, Courting a Legend. And it's, I think they added the Courting a Legend after it first came out, because I believe the movie was just Air. This movie was definitely top of that tier for me this year, mainly because it's basically made about my favorite basketball player's shoe. And hey, that player is? Michael Jordan. My favorite basketball player at the time, and still kind of is. So, But 
It definitely helped that there was a lot of great acting from Matt Damon, Jason Bateman, and Chris Tucker. Even Ben Affleck and Viola Davis, who was kind of toned back a little bit in this movie. She, did, she definitely didn't have as much as I thought she would have. They, they put in good performances, too. So, I mean, it's just the acting definitely helped this out because this movie is basically about how a shoot is made. I think also the flashback to the 80s had, me, had that nostalgic feeling for me. All right. Well, my number nine is Polite Society. And what you really need to know for an intro is that Nita Manzor's crazy fun flick made its Sundance debut in the midnight slate, where they stow movies just a little too crazy for the daytime crowd. And Play Society really pressed all those buttons for me. You know, it's, it's, it's really a wild mix of comedy and, you know, comedy of manners and action, and it's just fantastic. The heroine is Pakistani British Rhea Khan, and it's played with tons of spirit by Priya Kansara, as a teen who just wants to be a stunt person and films her exploits under the name The Fury. And this really, like I say, this movie mixes all kinds of genres together. It, it really would fit for Edgar Wright or Quentin Tarantino if it weren't, you know, pretty also kind of a romantic comedy. This one, pretty amazingly, has been on the Peacock most of this year and is still there. And you can also watch Nita Menzor's TV series, We Are Lady Parts. So you can watch this one right away. All right, my number nine is John Wick 4. And I believe, Brad, that's higher on your list. So it is higher on my list, yes. I'm just going to go ahead and bump it back to you. My number eight is the only movie on my tier three list. It's uh, TMNT, or Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Mutant Mayhem. It's sort of a reset, I guess, on the Ninja Turtles series, which they've done numerous times since, I think, the early 80s, mid-80s, I think. 1990 was the first movie. Yeah, because um, I grew up with the original cartoon series, which I believe was a little earlier than the first. 1987. Yeah, I, I figured that. So it was right around... There, and I mean, they did a wonderful job not only introducing the characters to children as well, because it's definitely a new take on the series, um, and, and it's really great, but it still, it brings enough for adults as well to enjoy. It's a movie that everyone in the household can enjoy. Beautiful animation. I love the animation. I think there's one piece, one set piece in, uh, set in New York that's very well done. Honestly, I think this is a series, or uh, yeah, a series to keep an eye on. It's not, might not be quite MCU fair yet, but it's definitely got at least another good movie in it, in my opinion, so. The Turtles have had some good success with their movies. I think we should all probably watch the original one. It's kind of a classic, I think. It's a good comic book movie. Yeah. Uh, but this was, I, I considered this one on my list too, but um, it, it, it's a good movie. Animation's kind of funky. I mean, it's, um, I don't think it's as beautiful as probably another movie that's probably on Brad's list, but. Um, I think it offered its own, um, yeah. own, own taste. It's a good character. So, it's a good movie. And in its own way, it is as uniquely animated as mm -hmm. that other movie. Yeah. I mean, it's not as technically proficient, but yeah. it looks amazing. It does look amazing. So. <laughs> Plus, Jackie Chan does a good job as, uh, <laughs> really as, as uh, yeah. Master Splinter, so um, I gotta say that. Good. So, eight, well, I have another Sundance movie at number eight, Past Lives, but I will defer to later because I know that is on Ben's list. Okay. Speaking of deferring, uh, my number eight is Guardians of the Galaxy 3, so <laughs> I think that's higher on Brad's list, so let's talk about what our number sevens are, and uh, so back to you, Brad. And I'll just say this, for, uh, my movies from seven to two could have probably been jumbled up and be different on tomorrow. Say like tomorrow, I could have probably had this movie at number five or this movie maybe at number three so they're they're my, my tier two is definitely good but i have mission impossible dead reckoning part one this movie i have at seven is partially because and another movie i think can be made an argument that it's it's not quite a complete movie but i think it's this movie just it kind of just threw me off a little bit that this is a part one of a movie but 
it's still an incredible movie. It's got great action. It's got very good intrigue. It's definitely a good spy movie, I think. It's definitely, a, if you're looking for a spy movie, this is definitely one to go see. Tom Cruise, as always, is, is great. I mean, his depth-defying, charming, awesome self as he is in this movie. I mean, it's just... And I mean, even the new cast, like Hayley Atwell is good. And I mean, just the the, uh, the 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 original cast is good. Like I said, the stakes is definitely raised in this movie, and it definitely left me wanting for part two. This is why we wait till the end of the year. I had Elemental in this spot, but I took it out, and I put in this week The Color Purple. And partly it was that it was a big crowd, but also I just love this movie. I really wasn't sure there needed to be another one, because Steven Spielberg made a perfectly, I would say, sturdy movie based on Alec Walker, Alice Walker's novel. But the novel's great. And it really plays well as a musical, and that's what this is, it, um, from Blitz Bazawule. It is straight from the Broadway stage, kind of fleshed out with a little more story. And it's the powerful songs that really make this work. You know, this is not a, joy, The Color Purple is a tale of heartbreak, but also joy. And the joy really comes to the front in this, because the songs are really powerful. Fantasia is just fantastic. I didn't think I'd say that ever, but she's really great as Celie, the main star. And uh, Danielle Brooks, people know from Orange is, New, Orange is the New Black, and Coleman Domingo are also great. And this really is one of the year's best ensemble casts. You know, just the sisterly bond and the overall passion of this had the large crowd I was with laughing and crying, and me too. And for that, I just love it. Okay, for my number seven, um, I actually get to talk because it's a movie that I don't know if it's on anyone's list, but it's uh, No One Will Save You. It's a movie that we saw over the summer, mm -hmm. uh, Keith and I. It's a horror alien movie starring Caitlin Deeper. And, you know, it's just unique. I, I always give extra points for people and movies that try something different. And what's unique about this one is it's largely silent. Uh, I think there's maybe five or six words that are spoken the entire movie. But that's the beauty of good filmmaking, good visuals, that you can tell a story. Um, you know, Caitlin Deaver, I don't know what's easier, if it's easier to act with a lot of dialogue or mm -hmm. not have a lot of dialogue and really just kind of make your body and facial expressions how you get your uh, your story across but she does a great job she's just always been a great actor you know all the way going back from justified and book smart and i think we're going to see her soon in uh, the last of us two i believe i'm sorry the last oh. of us two the second wow. series the second season of that so mm -hmm. it's some um, interesting stuff um i encourage you to check it out um i forgot it's either i think it's on amazon prime i it's on hulu it's on Hulu. Okay. Yes. Okay. Yeah. And, it's on and, one of the streamings. And the nice thing about Hulu is when they have a property, they keep it forever. Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah. So I, I recommend you try it and mm -hmm. watch it. So. I'm with you. And not to harp on John Woo too much because I love him, but he tried to make a silent movie this year that was far inferior to this one. I'll just, I'll just leave it at that. Ben's right. This is a great silent movie. Yeah. You may hear me talk about that one again. <laughs> so, uh, Let's go six. Brad. My number six is uh, Creed Three. And I believe I can discuss this one. Oh, go yep. for it. All right. It's the first movie that, where Michael B. Jordan spread his wings, not only as the character Adonis Creed, because it's like it's his own thing. There's no... There Rocky's might be, not in there. Yeah, there's no Rocky. I don't think... Is there even a mention of Rocky in there? I think it's might be brief, I Maybe think. Maybe yeah. But there's, there's, no, there's no Rocky there. So it's like it's not only a chance for Adonis Creed to spread his wings, but also it's... He's uh, he, this is his first as a director too, I believe, right? I think it learned from its mistakes from Creed too. It made the focus more personal, dealings with um, the character who I'm drawing a blank on, but just the uh, the character played by Jonathan Majors. But it's well done. Uh, Jordan and Majors do a great job in this as friends, frenemies, and then enemies. I think it's well done on that. Also, I really love the fight scenes in this. Uh, they were novel, and I think they brought a fresh air to the franchise, which. 
Some will argue they didn't like. I know Keith wasn't a big fan of a that, scene in the final finale. one. I know you weren't, <laughs> but I think Ben and I liked that one. I think it offered a different take, and I think it makes me wonder where they can go in the franchise, and hopefully it's up up and away on this one. Excellent. Well, my number six is Christian Nolan's Oppenheimer, and I will defer because I know Ben has that one much higher. That's true, and uh, I will just throw the deferment thing on to Brad because my number six <laughs> is The Iron Claw, which I think Brad has higher. Mm-hmm. I do. So let's go top five then. All so, right. My number five, and Ben, just double check me so make sure I don't ramble on. Godzilla minus one is my number five. Um, if you want to hold on mm-hmm. maybe in just a little bit longer, I think we can go on. Okay. So yeah. I will defer to Keith. I get to say it for once. Yeah. So. All right. So this is number five. Well, my number, my number five is Talk to Me. You know, 2023 was really not a great year for horror overall, but this is one I really love. And on a bonus, I got to see it at, on a Regal Movie Mystery Night. So if you have a Regal Theater, go to them. You never know what you're going to get. This is the debut movie from the Philip Who Brothers, uh, Danny and Michael. And it I don't want to tell too much of the plot, but it really involves an involved hand, and it calls out you know spirits from the, around the world of the living. That sounds pretty cliche, but the way this works is that it really gives it a fresh spin, and the rawness of it is pretty fantastic. The consequences of what these kids get into is all real, and it's, it's very dark, and it's really just one of my favorite, not just this year, one of my horror, favorite horror movies of the last five years or so. And you'll, you'll hear the name Sophie Wilde a lot. She is rapidly rising. She's a star of a Netflix series now. It's a, it's a coming-of-age series from Britain that I can't remember the title of, but you're going to see her everywhere. She was fantastic in this, and fine talk to me wherever you can. All right, my number five is a movie that we just reviewed. That's Maestro, directed and starring Bradley Cooper and Carrie Mulligan. I mean, we literally just reviewed this last <laughs> week, but I just thought, you know, I've been waiting for this movie for a long time. Yes, Bradley Cooper is very ambitious, and he'd like to be an Oscar award-winning person someday, <laughs> and this is his latest entry into that. But it's also well done. Um, you know, Bradley Cooper is a student of movies, and you know it's clearly a, a throwback, and just to the movies that I'm sure he grew up with, and kind of cribbing from all the classical artists and directors that he's worked with over the last uh, few years. Um, so check it out; it's on Netflix, um, and it should probably be nominated for some Oscars pretty soon. So, mm-hmm. all right, let's go four. Right. My number four, and I know, Ben, you had this one. I don't know if it's anybody else's higher on the list, but my four is uh, John Wick Chapter 4. Because I propose. So uh, we are we good to combo on this one? All right, cool. So I think they took everything from the John Wick series, and they just bumped it up to 11 in this movie. Action pieces, there was three memorable ones, and definitely two that would probably fight for contender for fight of the year or just battle of the year or whatever. They were very well done. Impactful moments, there's plenty of them too, including the ending, which we will definitely not be talking hmm. about. And, and just John Wick was being John Wick. I mean, just Keanu Reeves. It seems like he's getting away with talking less in these movies. And let's be honest, Keanu Reeves is not a... Uh, he's not your master thespian, we'll say. So... Uh, Brad, that's a little harsh. Okay, okay. <laughs> I'm sorry. He is not known for masterful speeches, we'll say. So, is that better? Is that a little better? Okay. All right. John, uh, Keanu Reeves is saying less and less, but man, is his actions doing so much more. Is that good? Okay. That was what I was originally going to say. I was trying to be a little uh, a little cheeky about it, but that did not happen. So, so anyway, it also helps that the villain, you have to have villains that you hate and understand. And they they have one of each in that, too. So I think it is it's very well done. I think 
this movie is definitely a thing you should watch, you should enjoy. So, Ben, I know you had it on the list. What's your thoughts on it? So Yeah, I mean, obviously I've been a longtime champion of this movie. It's one of our original, I think, movie club movies um, that I, I got my two cohorts here to see. And I just thought it was a fitting wrap-up to a trilogy. Well, no, it's not a trilogy. It's four of it now. But yeah. Was it's it quadrilogy? A, Is that what you call it? Yeah, it's just, you know, I, I felt satisfied at the end. Um, there's another movie, I think, on our, on I know that on Brad's list and my list, where I also felt that same satisfaction where the story ended and people always clamor for more. I mean, that's why these movies are popular. Um, but also... I think there's something to said, something to be said about kind of ending on a high note and just leaving leaving them wanting more, and hopefully they can rest on this for a little bit, whatever they do. So yeah, I agree on that one. So. Okay, all right, so we are like that's four. We're in the four. So Keith, what's your fourth? Okay, yes, my number four is Anatomy of a Fall. This is a uh, French movie from director Justine Trier that really plays out as a courtroom drama murder mystery but also dives deeply into the end of emotionally bitter unraveling of a marriage. And, you know, it's really anchored by a great performance by Sandra Huller, who has won several um, European awards. She may get an Oscar nomination, I'm not sure. But she's on trial on this for the death of her husband, who died in the fall from the third floor of the remote chalet in France. And Justine Trier is really a master at doing the courtroom drama here. It feels ripped from the headlines without, doing, without ever being really cheesy. And it works really as a pretty first-rate psychological thriller, along with, like I said, you get into this, delve into deep into this relationship of this very troubled couple, and it's all done very well. Uh, this is, this, it's a wild mix that really makes this near the top of my 23 list. All right, so my number four is Godzilla, minus one. I believe it's, well... Nope. You nope. have to defer one more time. Uh, okay. okay, okay. So Godzilla, <laughs> minus one. So... Let's go on to number three then. So Brad, this this move was uh, this movie was deferred by Ben, and I just got to double check with Keith. I think we're good on this one, right, Ben? Which is the Iron Claw. You're good. Yep. Yep. All right. This is the third movie that I saw in December, with uh, one on our list being a second that we've this, mm-hmm. uh, not discussed yet. So this is the second of three movies that I saw in December that shook up my list, and <laughs> this one hits real close to me because this this movie scared me. Because this story, out of a lot of stories for wrestlers or wrestling families, wherever you can tell, this is the one that is not only sad, but it's downright heart-wrenching. And I didn't know if they could come close to telling this story with not only respect, but just, I fear they would forget everything about this. Not just the heartbreak, but the wrestling in it. Not just the wrestling, but the family in it. And they hit all of it. Most of it they did real well. They they some of the factual things they kind of left out, but even as the director said, if I put them in there, it'd just be too damn sad. And I'm paraphrasing a little, but I mean, and it's true. I mean, so they not only did they not skimp on the wrestling, which I thought they did a real good job with. Not only did they not skip on the story, which they did a real good job with. This movie is a complete movie for me, which is hard to say for a wrestling movie. Like the only other movie I could say was probably. A complete movie that, that deals with wrestling is Wrestler. And I really love Zach Efron in this. He was amazing as Kevin Von Erich. And uh, Holt McElhenney was definitely good as good to great as Fritz Von Erich, which surprised me because I've never heard of him. And I know Keith was, was, was wondering how his performance would be. And he did a real good job, too. I think just this movie told a wonderful, heart-wrenching story of a close family that had tons of misfortune. And 
how one of them not only survived, but he persevered in the end. It's amazing for me. I, I was uh, thoroughly shocked that this movie was as good as it was, and I was glad it was as good as it was. So uh, that's number three for me, is the Iron Claw. Certain genre of movies, people are just like, I'm not into wrestling, so why do I watch this movie? <laughs> but even if you aren't, you should just watch it for the, the drama and the performances. Um, again, like just hat tip to Zac Efron for like, continuing to branch out. You know, Baywatch was on FX the other day, and that's kind of what we think of Zac Efron as kind of the pretty boy in a comedy. <laughs> um, so this is a real good kind of just like let's build the resume out for Zac Efron and, and Jeremy Allen White as well. It doesn't have a big part. He is impactful though. Yeah, and you know mm-hmm. what? Um, without giving too much, um, I was listening to a podcast and they were wondering like what what would happen if you flip the two? What if Zac Efron played the Jeremy Allen White part and vice versa? Mm-hmm. Like. Would that be a little different? Um, I don't think it would have worked as well. Yeah, there's too much intensity for the. Which was brothers played by Jeremy Allen White? He's uh, he's Carrie. Yeah, there's too that's too intense a part. I'm not. Yeah. I don't want to doubt Zac Efron, but it was cast pretty perfectly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Go see it. Just be warned. There's a lot of sadness in this movie. Oh, and by the way, I, I was almost so. Uh, Kevin Von Erich and another character in a movie that we'll be mentioning soon. I have a feeling. Who had who had like the mo- it was like it's a battle on who had like the most taken away from him and and, and th- I don't want to say thrived but survived so it's definitely I have the answer but we'll wait till that movie gets brought up so, <laughs> yeah, um, so. Keith what's your next what where are we now we're on number we're three, number three right? my number three is the holdovers and you know this is from Alexander Payne and it's it works on a lot of levels it's pretty slyly a great Christmas movie but it's also just a human movie. And Payne, that's on himself too. People don't make movies like this very often anymore, and he doesn't either, but he finally did. And what makes it work really is there's three great performances at its core. You know, Paul Giamatti, who got one of his best roles from Alexander Payne already, plays kind of this bitter prep school boss, teacher who has to take over, babysit for the titular holdovers on Christmas break. And Devon Joy Randolph is a, she works in the kitchen and she's lost her son in Vietnam. But the, you know, they're, they're fantastic, but what's amazing is who is toe-to-toe with them is Dominic Sessus, who, Sessa, who makes his debut as kind of the unruly student who is the, you know, the, really just the thorn of um, Paul Giamatti's character's side. But the way this all works, the way the three of them come together, it could be really mawkish, but it's really not. They form their own family, and they go on a real emotional journey, and it's just a fantastic movie. Like I said, it, it's a Christmas movie. It takes a break during Christmas, and it, it really is pretty emotional. And you can watch it now on Peacock. Okay, so my number three, it's like my number three and my number two, they're almost should be mashed together because that's what people <laughs> were doing. But my number three is Barbie. Movies based on toys, G.I. Joe, Transformers, um, they're not meant to be critical thinking pieces <laughs> and worthy of Oscar performances. But, you know, Greta Gerwig did something... I thought that was just really enjoyable, uh, and it's anchored obviously by Margot Robbie and Ryan Gosling with some great performances. Uh, it's kind of a backdoor musical in some ways. I enjoyed, and there's just a, there's just a lot to like about it. You know, I mean, obviously there's a certain sect of people who just are not going to watch this movie or not into it for a lot of reasons. But I would have been one of those. Yeah, but if you if you give it a chance, um, you know, it's a it's an enjoyable movie, especially. And I mentioned this with No One Will Save You. It's just like I give extra credit for movies that try to do something different and or take something that shouldn't be as good as it ended up being. And that's what Barbie is for me. So hats off to that. So that's my number three. I would have been one of the ones is like, 
Oh, it's a movie about a doll. This is a movie but, that this is a movie that Keith and I forced you to watch, yeah. basically. And and it just was outside my top ten. So, and, but uh, you, but also you grumbled for the first five minutes because, and then you finally got into it because yeah. the, the first five minutes was god awful. It was very loud. Yeah, yeah, it was. It was. I we won't get into it, and it and it recovered well. I mean, it was a real yeah. good movie. I mean, very it just good. it was just outside my top ten. I'm sure it was probably in your top fifteen, Keith. I'm assuming mm-hmm. it might might be in there, but uh, yeah, it's, it's definitely well well worth a top ten. Let's do number twos then. Brad, number two for you. My number two, and I think this is one you deferred before, Ben, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. And this movie is, it tops my tier two. Um, and like I said, on any no, any given day, it could go from two to seven. I think this movie was always going to be two, though. I mean, it's just, it's very well done. It's just, the gamut of emotions this movie sends you through. From the cruelty of just people in general to the humor of a team that has been been amazing together. Just the action pieces are great. It's hard just to realize that the ride is over. And if it does pick up, it'll never be the same. And I mean, James Gunn, swan song in this was just amazing. It had me laughing, crying, and it wrapped up the story with style. This is the best that Marvel Studios can do as far as allowing a writer-director to have their vision all the way through. And to have three kind of... A, Movies that are entertaining, but also just like a emotionally, you know, um, they spark something in you. Um, I wasn't a particular fan of two. It was all right. Mm-hmm. But there's still something that stirred inside me, especially the end there. I think, of, you know, if, unless you're like a real kind of like hard-hearted person, I think you'd understand. And the, and the holiday special, too. I can't think of a more perfect ending. We talked about John Wick and how I thought it ended well and I felt satisfied and... I just liked where all the characters ended up, and uh, this is the same way, too. Um, I don't, um, you know, I, a lot of people, including myself, are, um, you know, ready to write the obituary for uh, Marvel right now, and also maybe comic book movies, but, you know, in, this, in uh, 2023 was a year of just kind of so-so comic book movies, except for Guardians. And another movie we'll probably mention later. Two all games. right. My number two, and I believe we're all going to talk about this one, is Godzilla Minus One. Okay. You know, I can't say objectively it's the best uh, Godzilla movie ever made, because I haven't seen them all, but it is the one that I love most. It is so good, because it gets the, uh, the post-war politics exactly right, and it's a really human story. Characters who, you know, are very flawed, but they all come together to take on Godzilla. And I won't talk about it too much, because we're all going to talk about it, but, you know, the ending of this movie should not work. It's thoroughly ludicrous, but the journey that our hero Shikishima goes on is so great that it just had me cheering and when he fi- when they finally take on Godzilla, it's just a it's just a perfect Godzilla movie. Um this movie came out of nowhere. Mm-hmm. Really. Yeah. None of us had it on our radar at all. And it was basically like a word of mouth movie. I think Keith, you were the first one to saw it. And you said, this movie is, is a good movie to see. And then I saw it. Yeah. And I told Ben, I was like, Ben, this is a good movie. Maybe you should come see it. And then Ben saw it. so and, it was like, and Ben was the first one to tell me about it. So it goes all the way. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So, then it was coming. You know? it, yeah. you know, it, to answer your question before about uh-huh. what character is the most put upon, I would still say Kevin Von Erich because without spoiling it too much, I mean, at least this guy, our, our main guy at the end, does get a happy ending. <laughs> and Von Erich does, but he, I feel like he loses a lot more. And also... There are parts where he's more. Von Eric seems to be more haunted. Yeah, and and it's it's like he seems to be more haunted after his good ending. Whereas, and I forget the main character's name. I don't think I wrote it down. But he's there, but he he gets to exercise his demons. This is this is enjoyable. I mean, I, I look forward to Kong X Godzilla. What is it? 
something. The dawn of an empire. Yeah, that's fine. Yeah, yeah. But it's something like that. Yeah. It's gonna. Be, I mean, I, I I look forward to watching that. Godzilla for Godzilla X Kong: The New Empire. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I I enjoy watching that, but that one's more. That's gonna be a pop popcorn. Just like let's Monster just try, battle. Turn your turn your brain off for two hours and just enjoy the colorful fighting and everything. So yeah, this movie focused more on the human side of a monster movie, and you don't mm-hmm. see that often. Like I think like the first. Like Godzilla movies, I think sort of delve into that a little bit, and maybe the first remake, I guess you could say, or the the newest remake with the one with um, Elizabeth Olsen and um, uh, Tarantino Johnson. Yeah, but it was fine. That mm-hmm. one was okay, which is sort of tried to do that, but it didn't really. This one was wonderful in doing it, and I mean, Keith's already mentioned it's like the trials that he overcome was just amazing, and it's just. And the monster itself was good. I mean, it's just, it was definitely fearsome, and it was made more fearsome and scarier than recent movies because he just seemed more unstoppable. It's my number two. Mm -hmm. Keith, do you have this one right? Oppenheimer. I did, but you get to start. Oppenheimer (laughs) is my number two. Christopher Nolan. Mm -hmm. This is the other part of Barbie Heimer. Christopher Nolan, ardent supporter of movies in movie theaters, Mm -hmm. and this is definitely one you should see in a movie theater. And it's just like what you expect a movie to be. It's just like you have a protagonist who's kind of haunted. He's got a challenge. They overcome it. But then he's still got other challenges. And it's kind of a character exploration of him. Killian Murphy, great. Emily Bunt, great. Florence Pugh, great. Deep, deep, deep supporting cast. Just And also Robert Downey Jr. too. Uh, kind of like a great, great role for him post-Iron Man. He hasn't had many. And it's just like, oh, yeah, he's more than Iron Man. He can act, right? Mm-hmm. It's just like, okay, remember, I'm here, and I'm, I'm doing stuff. And it was a great movie. It's a long movie, but a great movie, for sure. Yeah, you're right. And, you know, it it really didn't feel like three hours, but it is a long movie. It kind of felt like three hours. It did. <laughs> I went to my dad to see it. You know, he grew up when the, during the when you had to hide on your desk as a kid, and he loved it. And I did, too. But the performances, like Ben said, but also this just works on a lot of levels. You know, it's 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 crazy how, just when you think... You know, they, they have the bomb. And then the last third is really, really turns into this political thriller. And that's where Robert Downey comes to the fore. But it really shifts throughout. With, with um, It really plays with time like, like um, Nolan does in a lot of his movies. But it's still his most linear one. And for me, this is his best movie. It's most accessible for sure, even though it's three hours. Yeah. Even Brad, you'll probably see it when you do your Oscar tour. Mm-hmm. And I think you'll enjoy it. Okay, number one. Now, I, I have a bottom three. Do you want me to wait till after? Let's do number one. We're on a roll. Yeah. Let's do number one. All right. All right. So I kind, of, I kind of want to end on a negative taste, but let's go with number one. No, number one, if you know me, if you know my taste, you probably can guess what number one is. Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse. That's number one. How do you improve on a damn near perfect movie? You make it bigger, you add more, and you basically take the animation, mix it up so much, you basically tell other animation styles, nah, I'm going to do it my own thing. Nice. So I had to look that up. I watched the whole scene again. Still damn perfect. It's on Netflix if you want to watch it. They not only add, they mixed live action, stop action, old footage, and Legos. They mixed it all together and they made it damn perfect. It was awesome. It's it's a spectacular <laughs> animation style. I mean, they just the first movie into the Spider Verse. They 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 made their own thing and it was damn good. And they took it up to eleven. No, that's not even getting to the Spider-Man. I mean, you have so many different types of Spider-Man that all are comic or at least somewhat accurate that, I mean, you have people, dinosaurs, horses. I mean, they're everywhere. And it's all in the comics, and they all do a great job with it. The story is superb, too. I mean, it's just very well done. It shifts the focus. And not only 
it only has it, it does a good job focusing on Miles, but it also switch, shifts off that and focuses on Gwen and, and does a real good job with Gwen too. I mean, the music is great, the voice acting is spot on. I mean, you name it, they aced it in my book. There was nothing, in my opinion, that was wrong with this, unless you want to harp on the fact that it was just a part one. That's the only <laughs> that's the only thing that people can harp on, in my opinion. It's just, it's an amazing, spectacular, sensational, astonishing, well, well I'll stop there. So, but, Brad, did you like it? Oh, I love it. I, you, you, you knew I love it. So, yeah, so, I'm just, I'm just waiting for part two. Yeah, Ben, okay. So, yeah, that's, that's my number one. I mean, yeah, there's nothing else I can say. So. Uh, I mean, I, I would, I do dock a little bit because it is a cliffhanger, but I enjoyed how, um, you know, they expanded Gwen's story a little bit. I mean... Uh, Miles doesn't even really show up until about 25 minutes into the movie just because you're so uh, kind of enraptured with Gwen's story. But, yeah, it's good. I mean, it's, it's hard to follow up after a movie is so good. It's Oscar award winning. And these guys kind of did it. And I'm just looking forward to part two. I don't know when that's going to come out. I think it was delayed now, but yeah. we'll see. Man, that the animation category for this year is going to be be a tough it's battle. Be stacked. Yeah, it's going to be stacked this year because you got that boy and heron. I mean, turtles maybe. Yeah, might creep turtles. In there. Turtles might creep in there. I have a feeling it's going to be Miyazaki. The man is eighty three years old. Yeah. yeah. So, but we'll see. Yeah. It's going to be. It's going to be good. It's going to be a battle. That's that's definitely true. So. Okay, so that's number one for Brad. So all Keith, right. Your number one? Well, my number one is Rye Lane. You know, it shows just how much I love this movie. It came out way back in March, this uh, romantic comedy from Rain Ann Miller, and it stayed near the top for the entire year. What it's about, it's about these um, two young black teenagers in London who are having really bad days, or they've just been through a breakup, and they meet. They meet cute. You know, it's a standard, pretty standard romantic comedy kind of thing. What really what makes this work is they spend the day together, and it has the best elements of, I would say, Linklater's uh, Before Trilogy, but also Scorsese's After Hours. You know, you really get to know this this um, Lane neighborhood they live in. And there's two dynamic actors. I think this most pretty much their debuts for both of them. Vivian O'Para and David Johnson are great in the in the lead roles. And you know, I only gave this three and a half stars when it came out, but I've seen it twice again on Hulu. It's just extremely clever. If you like smart and truly funny romantic comedies, watch it for sure. All right. So number my number one is Past Lives. Um... I had an abbreviated review of this back in the summertime. I gave it four and a half. It might be one of my highest ratings. But, you know, again, it's a it's a foreign language film. It's almost entirely in Korean. It's basically focused on three people. It's about two, a guy, a boy and a girl who are, who are meet and have a deep connection as children in Korea and lose touch, but then reconnect as they're adults. And it's just all about them, you know, just thinking about what could have been. And I, it's just wonderfully acted. Again, it's just like even though it's it's in Korean, I just people would I think people would understand and probably have their own stories that they can draw parallels to. And it's just I can't recommend it more. You know, Greta Lee, who's the main person in this, um, she does mostly comedy. In fact, she's in I believe yeah she's in Spider Man into the into the Spider Verse and across the Spider Verse. She is. Um, she is a uh, Spider-Man 2029's like mm-hmm. AI assistant. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, she's also done comedies. I think like um, what is it? What's the Apple TV show? The Morning Show or whatever the heck that. Oh, I see. Or, or, is, it, is, or is it or is it um, the Newsroom? She's on, but she's known for comedy. So mm-hmm. this is a like Zac Efron. It's good to see her kind of expand a little bit, kind of like Aquafina did for the farewell, mm-hmm. and um, just it's it's well done. Yeah, this is on my list too, and for um, for many of the same reasons, but. If you're, Ben's right, if you're afraid at all about this, it's really just a human story about how people connect at 
through through their lives and you know things change but how their bonds really continue and it really slyly if this can get even bread to watch it it's almost a time travel movie because you know you see them at different points in their lives and how they how they interact and how they interact through the ages it's just fun to watch and Betty Lee will I think probably get an Oscar nomination and she she won't win but she could and it's well deserved yeah. all right so Brad real quick why don't you talk about some movies that you hated <laughs> bottom three this is the fourth of five movies that I saw in December but my number three uh, and it unfortunately falls on the opposite end of the great list and that's Aquaman and the Lost Kingdom <laughs> I, this this spot was occupied by The Flash for the longest time, and it pushed The Flash out of the bottom three because at least in The Flash you had great performances from multiple people and a story that had some consequences. Aquaman and The Lost Kingdom did not have any of those. That's my number three. My number two is Silent Night. My exposure to Jean Wu was basically small compared to you, uh, Ben and Keith, but Hard Boiled made me recognize the name and recognize the style, and... So when John Woo had a new action movie coming out, it, it perked my attention up. Plus, it was also a movie set during Christmas time as a, and a protagonist who can't speak, which is an interesting concept. So I was like, all right, I'll give it a chance. And, well, the story was bland, and it dragged on. Joel Kinnaman did his best, but it just couldn't click for him. He did his best with the uh, emoting without speaking. And uh, let's besides, there's maybe... Two action pieces in this movie that's supposed to be an action movie? I mean, it's just... Yeah, it just... It remained in the bottom of my three... Uh, bottom three of my 2023, unfortunately. And uh, my number one is Next Goal Wins. And at, at least Silent Night knew what the mo what movie they were trying to be. Um, Next Goal Wins, unfortunately, had no clue what the tone of the movie was. The script was lackluster. And despite the story of perseverance of a national soccer team... This movie almost made a mockery of that story, and maybe I'm a little harsh on it, but in my opinion, it was a comedy that just wasn't funny. Quickly, let's talk about some movie totals that Brad has, and then Brad can go over the uh, like Rotten Tomatoes stuff that he, he normally does. So, how many movies did we see? You want to give the totals this year? All right, well, last year, Keith saw 59, Ben, you saw 44, I saw 21. This year, Keith jumped it up by 11, he saw 70. Ben, you fell back uh, six. Can I do math? Yes, you did. You saw thirty-eight. That's not as bad as I thought it would yeah. be. Okay. So, and uh, I actually saw five more movies than I did last year, which is a record for me. So, twenty-six is a is a high that I don't know if I will break. So, this this movie had a lot of <laughs> lot of movies that definitely were interest me, and it was definitely a good year for movies. And guest that watched with us was five. Podcast friend Matt saw four, and uh, podcast friend Kelly saw one. So for the categories, uh, for the highest Rotten Tomato scores for critics, for critics, are we playing guessing or are you just no, maybe? Okay. At a tie for fourth was 1001 and The Boy and the Heron at 97%. Tie for second for Rye Lane and Godzilla Minus One at 98%. And at number one, uh, this was mentioned on one of our lists. Are you there, God? It's me, Margaret, with 99%. This is from the critics. So, <laughs> for the audience, a three-way tie for fourth. At 95%, it is Creed Three, the Super Mario Brothers movie. Are you there, God? It's me, Margaret, and the color purple. Eking in there, all at 95%. And a three-way tie for first, at 98%, for audience, it is Little Richard, I Am Everything, 
Godzilla minus one, and air courting a legend at 98%. Are you there, God? It's me, Margaret, and Godzilla minus one, the only two movies that made the list for both audience and critics for high ranking. Now going to the lowest Rotten Tomatoes. <laughs> critics, to start off. Number five, Aquaman and the Lost Kingdom, 35%. Uh, number four, Heart of Stone, 30%. Number three, House Party at 28%. Number two, Rebel Moon Part 1, A Child of Fire, 24%. And number one, the lowest for the critics, Pain Hustlers at 23%. Uh, you know, it's a little harsh on House Party. It's just a comedy. And Pain you Hustlers, know. too. I don't yeah, think it's 23%. That's the critics. I mean, so for the audience now, number five at 56%, No One Will Save You. Um, a tie at third at 51%. Heart of Stone and Silent Night. Number two at 48%, It Lives Inside. Hmm. And number one at 34% for the audience, You People is number one. So, well, I hated that movie, so I'm good. Yeah. So, <laughs> the uh, least amount of differential between the critics and audience. A four-way tie for third between Dumb Money, Bottoms, Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse, and John Wick Chapter 4 all had one percent difference between the critics and the audience with the uh first uh, with the last three john wick spider-man and bottoms being the critics higher and dumb money being the audience higher and with zero difference between the critics and the audience a tie for first between ferrari and godzilla minus one really so ferrari had 73 percent on both godzilla minus one had 98 percent on both as far as the one that had the biggest split between the critics and the audience a tie for fourth between Golda and Transformers Rise of the Beast. There's a 39% differential between both. Number three, Next Goal Wins. There's a 40% differential <laughs> between the both on that one. Number two, Pain Hustlers. There's a 43% differential for the both. And the biggest differential between the critics and the audience, Aquaman and the Lost Kingdom. 46% differential between the both. 35 for critics, 81 for audience. Well, there's a lot of people who are wrong in the world. Yeah. <laughs> there's our right. stats for 2023. Excellent. Right. Hats off to Brad. The next episode we're going to do, we're going to look for the movies for 2024. But I think for now, I think it's time to wrap this episode up. So first, Keith, why don't you do the plugs? All right. You can reach us at moviesandmealog at gmail.com, moviesandmeal on x slash Twitter. And give us a listen on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you find your podcasts. Okay, so for this episode of Movies in the Meal, I'm Ben. And Keith. Brad, peace! See ya.